0: The American story includes
1: yes, Native Americans. I- anytime there are people willing to link arms and make this nation better, we are better mm-hmm. by having different people join and contribute to go forward. Right. And and that doesn't mean like we can't look back and acknowledge, man, like Andrew Jackson, some of those people, they did some really really bad stuff. There was definitely some bad stuff that happened. Sure, yeah, but that's just not the whole story. It's certainly not the story of the Pilgrims. It's not the story of America. America is a better place. When people are able to work together, crossing right mm-hmm. ethnicity, cultural lines, gender lines, working together to make this nation better. And that's, that's one of the reasons America has been one of the most special places in the history of the world is because of all these people groups coming together, bringing their best ideas, putting them together and advancing America forward.
2: You are now tuned in to Stay Dangerous.
0: Thanksgiving has be- unfortunately become a controversial <laughs> holiday in America. And so I was when, you know, there's so many things that and I plan on having you on a, a bunch as much as you'll endure me, but th- there's so many things to talk about with you. But, uh, one of the things that I thought would be a great, great episode would be to talk about Thanksgiving and then, uh, why there's why is there controversy? Why is there uh, you know, what's the true history and yes. uh, you being a historian, you being, uh, someone that really understands the founding of our country and, uh, and the history of our country, both good and bad, and has been outspoken about both sides, uh, Tell us about Thanksgiving.
1: Well, and, and I really appreciate you having us on. This is, it's so silly, the things that are being attacked in America today, right? That it just shouldn't be controversial things. You know, if, if we go back five years, like who would have thought the idea of boys and girls would become controversial, right? Yeah. Like I know it's not the point of the conversation today, but like no, yeah. we're making things controversial that are not controversial right. because there, there's a an intentional effort and uh, in, in kind of the wokeifying of America mm-hmm. To and really, I think you can tie it back to a lot of a Marxist ideology, which has infiltrated America back in the early 1900s with the Progressive Era, and some of some of the ideas they were embracing that have now become fully uh, realized in America today. But among those, and actually, Will, can we can we grab some of these artifacts? Um, I, I brought several things with me. Uh, I want to show you guys to help tell some of the story uh, as we look at the Pilgrims. Oh, well. I I could even talk about these as as Will's bringing them up one by one. Um, So we have what's considered the largest original collection uh, or the largest collection of original documents from early American history. We have more than 1,000 documents uh, from the Pilgrim era. So we have things that actually came across with the Pilgrims on the Mayflower. Mm. Uh, We we have things from the early colonies, from the Puritans. uh, And this specifically, uh, and and Will, thank you so much for (laughs) bringing these things over. Uh, This little cup was taken from... The dig at Plymouth, and specifically, this is one of the Pilgrims' cups uh, that we don't know historically that for sure. Like this was at the first Thanksgiving; it could have uh, been at
0: first Thanksgiving, but though, it right? totally
1: could have been right. Yeah. You know, taking a little drink, pass it around, however it goes. But that is as one of the cups that did belong to the Pilgrims, and, and so we have we we have a lot of documents and artifacts from the Pilgrims. And, and to give a little context with this, uh, just kind of big picture overview. I know you guys. uh, probably will have thoughts and ideas so please interject as we go uh but but some of these books just kind of as we unfold the the pilgrims a lot of people don't realize we're actually a church congregation and so it's not just a group of people that want to get on a boat and go somewhere different want a program uh, their dryer. right you know they're on a voyage to go somewhere this was a, a religious group in england and and if you back up in england or really all of europe all of europe was uh, Catholic, generally speaking, in faith. And then you have Henry VIII who comes along and Henry VIII is married and his wife keeps giving him daughters and he wants a son. And, and so he says, I want a divorce. And the Catholic church says, we don't really do divorce. And this leads him to saying, I don't want to be Catholic anymore. I'm going to start our own church. And he starts the Anglican church. And he said, as the founder and the leader of the Anglican church, I grant myself a divorce. And so he starts this new denomination just to change some things he didn't like. But, but this led to something that became kind of the norm in a lot of Europe where there was a lot of kings if they didn't like certain things restrictions inside of Christianity as it were they would change some of those things well this is this is the era that leads to the reformation and and actually it's kind of happening during the reformation in a lot of respects and the reformation there were people saying we should get back to what the bible says and, and not just believe what some king or tyrant tells us we should do or what honors god let's actually go back and read the bible And the Bible that became the the noted Bible of the Reformation was the Geneva Bible. This is an original 1599 Geneva Bible. Uh, So this is literally the Bible that people like the pilgrims were using at that time. And what made this so unique, and I'll, I'll turn it so maybe the camera can see it, is in this Bible, it's a normal Bible, but in the side note, it had commentaries. Because this was the first Bible that was printed and readily available in the English language and before this, it was a Latin Vulgate, or the Greek Septuagint, and most people, they, they didn't know Latin. They didn't know Greek, so getting a Bible for the first time, they were reading it, and they had no idea, like, what who are these people, and what are they writing about? So the commentary was to tell them some of what this story was. The reason that mattered is a lot of the commentary, reformers were pointing out that a lot of what the kings have been telling us is not what the Bible said, but if you write a book And the commentary of that book says that kings are wrong and don't do what kings say. That's not going to be a popular book among the kings. It led to this This Bible actually got banned in England. And and, and part of even the foundation that led to this getting banned, um, as this Bible is becoming very popular in Europe, very popular in England, King James is the king of England at that time. Mm -hmm. And King James says, we don't want a book that's saying kings are bad or that the things we're choosing to do might not be godly. It led to him doing this book. This is a 1612 King James Bible. The King James Bible originally came out in 1611. Uh, so this is a second year printing of the King James Bible, which the King James Bible is one of the more common, popular Bibles in America today. So that, this is a really, really impressive book. But the He's reason- given it to the people because it's what they want it now, but he did it in his
0: terms, under his terms.
1: Right. He banned- he banned all religious material under his, under his kingship. He said, there will be no more religious material unless it's printed by my people. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have to have an England printing license and they can only print materials that I approve, which even in his Bible, it removed all of the commentary. So all the things that said Kings were wrong. For example, the Kings didn't believe that people could own private property because if you live in England and there's a King of England and the King wants something you have, mm. he can take it. Mm. Right. Cause you're his subjects. Mm-hmm. He is. He he has control and possession over your land. He can take your, your sons, your daughters, right? The sons in the military, daughters can serve in the palace. Like, there, there is no private property under the king. Well, reformers pointed out, like, that's not God's idea. God, even the Ten Commandments, believed in private property where don't steal and don't even covet what is somebody else's. So, like, God is big on private property. This all is kind of the foundation that leads to King James saying, like, I don't mind you having a Bible, but don't, don't misunderstand. And, and there's this big PR push when this comes out saying that God loves kings, right? Kings are God's favorites. Uh, mm-hmm. God speaks mm-hmm. through kings. And so the King James Bible came out, but they were controlling the narrative, which actually, as we study history, it's amazing it's how what much. tyrants
0: do. I mean, I, I mean uh, it, <laughs> in, in Islam and Afghanistan, they don't want them to be able to understand and read the Quran for themselves. Uh, I mean, even the slave Bible in the United States, they pulled out Parts of exit, they pull that exit. Correct, right? Because they don't want to want to control the narrative as a tyrant.
1: And, and uh, you know, I right. was I was actually going to come even a little closer with uh, some of social media, but yes, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. social know.
0: media. Yeah, we <laughs> we just finished our meeting uh, this morning on what we can and can't post because of the tyrants. Cancel, uh, right?
2: They're Cancel culture <laughs> existed back in the 1600s. I mean, totally. <laughs> yeah. we,
0: you know, and we, now we know that. But now we know this isn't just social media. This isn't just Zuckerberg, which, which we've been we've been cheering for Elon to beat him up. But it's not just Zuckerberg, right. coming from the. This came from the White House. We know now that came from the White House. Hey folks, I got a shout out for our new awesome sponsor, Midas Gold Group. These guys are the real deal, a family business in precious metals for two generations run by Marine Corps veterans who are all about supporting veteran causes and putting America first. But the best part, they know that true financial freedom comes from owning private currency like gold and silver. If you're feeling a bit worried about the unknown and what to secure finances, Look no further than Midas Gold Group. With all the crazy stuff happening these days, it's smart to be prepared. If you don't know, our financial data is stored electronically, from bank deposits to retirement accounts, and let's face it, our digital grid isn't exactly invincible. That's where owning gold and silver can save the day, and it's becoming a seriously compelling option. Now here's the scoop. Inflation is nibbling away at your dollar's buying power. And major players like Russia, China, India, and Saudi Arabia are making moves to trade oil in different currencies. This could shake things up big time, as the dollar's stability depends on being the world's trade currency. The central bank digital currency is virtually already here, with patents filed and big banks making plans. And Midas Gold Group sees potentially sketchy implications here. Will it mean the end of cold, hard-earned cash? Is it tied to social credit scores? Storing all our financial info on in digital ledgers sounds pretty risky, doesn't it? That's why you can count on Midas Gold Group. They're here to lend a helping hand. They've got competitive pricing, top-notch service, and lightning-fast deliveries all across the United States and Canada. And get this, they could even show you how to use your IRA and old retirement plan to own physical gold and silver without getting hit by any additional tax implications. So listen up, folks. When it comes to precious metals, Midas Gold Group is the real deal and the only one I trust. Give them a ring at 855-322-GOLD. That's 855-322-4653 or hit up their website at MIDASgoldgroup.com. That's MIDASgoldgroup.com. They're all about giving friendly, no pressure advice on precious metals. And guess what? If you drop my name, Chad Robichaud, they're throwing in some free silver with any qualifying account. You can't beat that, right? So don't wait around, secure your financial future with Midas Gold Group, swing by MidasGoldGroup.com or dial 855-322-4653 and make sure you mention Chad Robichaux sent you. Trust me, you'll be glad you did.
1: It's big governments mm-hmm. yep. controlling the narrative. Same, right? same story since It's exactly exactly Because literally the king said, nobody can print anything unless I approve it and only my people can print it. Mm-hmm. So it, it literally is big government working with media to control the narrative. Well, as this is unfolding, the pilgrims they are not anglicans and 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 they have been shaped by the Geneva Bible and they want to they want to follow what the Bible says and, and do what the Bible says. And so they're looking for a place where can we go that we can raise our families in in a different way out from under the king. And so Holland is a nation that's that's open to immigrants coming in and and it's a friendly nation. They end up going to Holland. While they're in Holland, they they have left their friends behind in England. And this is when the king is beginning to change some of those laws to even greater extent, controlling the narrative, controlling the market. And so as they go to England, one of, or leave England and their friends are in England, they're in Holland. One of their friends, or one of the, actually the members of the church, uh, his name is William Brewster. He was concerned about their friends back in England. And as a printer, he began printing religious material because one of the things that they were told is in England, you you cannot print anything religious related unless the kings approved it. But that also meant all of the commentaries that had become available on the Bible were being removed because much of the commentary was pointing out what the Bible says is not what the king was saying. And so one of the first things that we can point to that William Brewster printed and actually they helped sneak back into England is this book right here. And in the front of this book, this was printed in 1618. The front of this book it actually has the stamp down here at the bottom and it, it looks like some brush but in the middle of that brush there's a bear uh, this was known as the brewster bear uh, that, that was his official stamp for the things that he had published and produced you'll see down here it's, uh, it says 1618 this is commentary on the new testament and so as this came out they are they, they print this but they then are getting this back to their friends in england so this
0: isn't a bible with commentary
1: Correct. That is that is just commentary. commentary. There are some verses inside of it, but it's it would be no different than if you got a a Bible commentary book today, generally speaking. Um, And so they there are again, there's references to verses, there's quotes and verses, but it's not a Bible with commentary. It's specifically commentary about the New Testament. So this goes back to England. As this goes to England, the king gets word that there are people violating this law and they're printing religious material. They're not supposed to be doing that. And so the king sends troops, the troops go to Holland finding where this printing came from. And so William Brewster, who's the elder in their church, he's the official printer, his stamp is on this. And they're like, okay, we're looking for the guy who stamps his books this way. So they find William Brewster and they say, okay, bro, you can't do this anymore, right? Like this is clearly a violation. And I can only imagine how he would have played the game. Like, I can't imagine how it got to England. Like, I printed it, but I would never have violated the king. He plays the game a little bit. The following year, he does this work. And this one, again, this is known that William Brewster was the one who printed this. It covers five religious topics. And specifically, the king had come out with positions on various uh, various issues in culture. And so they said, hey, here's what the Bible actually says. The king has said one thing, but here's what the Bible says. So this is
0: a response to,
1: the ki- to King James. Correct. Yeah. This is a response to the king. It came out in 1619. And this one, Brewster was smart enough not to put his seal, his mm-hmm. stamp on it. But this one goes back to England, and as word gets the king, hey, there's new religious material here, it's smuggled in, and it's directly opposing the things you are saying. At this point, the king sends troops, says, okay, you go find who, who printed this, find where it came from, and you close that, that printing press down. So the troops go, they find William Brewster again, they, they, they know he's a printer, and they say, okay, we're taking your stuff, you can't print anymore, so they take all of his typeset which right, all the letters everything you're using as you're laying out what you're going to print they take all of his typeset away they leave him as printing press but the printing press is no good because there's nothing he can do with it at this point the pilgrims they've already been in a little bit of a conversation of do we really want to stay in a place we're still within mm-hmm. grasp of the king right mm-hmm. we, we wanted to get away we can raise our families we're not really quite away enough because we've now been having troops come they, we, they've made these visits to us yeah. On top of the fact, the people of Holland, even though they were a nation open to the pilgrims being there, they, they weren't a Christian nation. And so the pilgrims' kids are growing up with kids that have a different value system and they see their kids being influenced by things that that's not really the influence they wanted for their kids. So they determine, we, we want to go somewhere else. So they have a petition to the king. Hey, we can get out of your hair. If you will grant us authorization, we will go to this new colony over in the new world, the Jamestown colony. And at that time, the Jamestown colony wasn't just one little settlement. The the whole state of Virginia was known as the Jamestown colony. And the whole state of Virginia was like one third at that time of what we know as like the United States, those original 13 colonies. It was, it was huge. Right. And so they get permission from the King that they can go over and out of my hair. That's right. Yeah. Right. well, We'll leave you alone, you yeah. leave us alone, yeah. we're all gonna be okay.
0: We de deplatformed you, go over the truth, social. That's right, <laughs> <laughs> you,
1: you find your own place. Yeah. So so in 1620, this is when they find the ships. Initially there was two ships, there was the, the Speedwell and the Mayflower. And really historians believe there was a lot of sabotage on the Speedwell because when they first take off, their goal was to have sailed across during the summer so they get over to the New World, there's still time to set up established before winter comes and the speedwell develops holes. So they are, they're out a few days, they have to turn and come back, fix the holes, and they, okay, it's repaired, let's go again. And they go out and it develops holes again. And I mean, we could joke about, right, the size that the, the holes are like a perfect circle and the size of like a somebody screwing holes in the side, and yeah, like, oh, guys, we can't go, like, okay. Historians recognize this was largely likely sabotage from the crew who did not want to make this journey or didn't want to make this journey with the Pilgrim specifically, And so they turn back and realize that we don't have two ships, but that means this was one church congregation and they couldn't all fit on one ship. So now this religious body, they have one boat to go on. So they're going to pack everybody they can on the Mayflower. Not everybody's going to fit. So they're leaving people behind. And as they get on the Mayflower, it's like September before they leave England. But that means as you're taking a couple month journey, you're sailing across and you're going to a place where you're gonna arrive closer to wintertime. And as they go, there's some massive storms that happen along the way. And there's a lot of, some some interesting side notes of like people getting washed off and then uh, a rope dangling and catching on uh, and being rescued. Like there's a lot of fun stories along the way, but one of the important things- These are the pilgrims that are on. These are the pilgrims that are on the Mayflower. 1620, they're coming to the New World. During one of the winter storms, crossing the ocean, the main beam of the ship breaks, which is what runs down the ship. It's the structural integrity for the ship and it breaks. And when it breaks, they they do not have wood to replace it or repair it. And so they're crippled. It's a crippled vessel in the middle of the ocean. What are they gonna do? William Brewster, the guy who did the printing, for whatever reason on this overcrowded ship, he could not let go of his printing press. He's like, I gotta bring it with me. And you can imagine people are like, dude, you don't even have like typeset. You have, there's, you can't even print anything on this. Don't take this really big, heavy thing to the new world. Like this doesn't make yeah. any sense. No, I, I have to bring it. Well, the main component of his printing press is this massive jack screw that as you turn it, it screws up. Well, they were able to get his printing press with the jack screw under this beam that broke. They're able to screw it up and hold this beam in place, which allows them to sail to the new world. There's, there's so many cool providential moments of unlikelihood and and just like the right answer, the right solution. But when they arrive, they were, again, trying to go to the Virginia colony, the Jamestown colony. The storms blew them so far north, they were never able to correct course and and they're trying to get to Virginia. They can't make it. So when they finally get ashore, it's November, they go in and, and Plymouth Rock is kind of the famous place where people think of, but it's November when they land on shore. And in New England in the winter, it's a little different for us in Texas, Right, even as we look at winter, you know, what about you? Cold for like two weeks, and then it's eighty the next week, right? Like it's a little different in New England. There's already snow on the ground, and they arrive at a place. They're out of food. There's no fuel for fires. There's no shelter, and during that first winter, half of them died from the malnutrition, the starvation, the cold, just all the effects of the winter. And so when when they're coming into the following year, and there's also a, a lot of interesting connections along the way. They had been told by the people of Jamestown that the 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 natives are really kind of vicious and they're not nice and you got to watch out for them. Well, the people of Jamestown were not the most honest, honorable people and they actually uh, kidnapped Pocahontas at one point. Like there's a, there's a whole mess with the story of Jamestown. Yeah, But the people of Jamestown had bad interactions with the natives because they were bad people interacting with the natives. Mm-hmm. The pilgrims were a very different people but they had brought Miles Sanders to be their military commander to protect them and keep them safe. The first native they have a real encounter with was Somoset. And Samaset had done some trading before. He had learned English, uh, some English words through some of his trade. And so when he approaches, they're very nervous. They don't know what to do. Well, they begin conversing, and he knows some words, and they're totally shocked. We didn't know you. Like, you know English. And he as much as he can communicate with them, tells them, hey, there's, there's somebody else. I'm going to bring somebody else. He knows more words. He leaves. Well, he comes back with a whole delegation. And in this delegation is Squanto, who is the Native American who actually is fluent in English. And there's a whole backstory of Squanto, which is equally kind of fascinating. But Squanto comes with a delegation with Chief Massasoit. He's a chief of the Wampanoag tribe. And they end up making a treaty with the pilgrims. The pilgrims say, hey, we, we weren't even trying to come here. We, we were trying to to go down south, the other colonies. We landed here. Can, can we stay here? They make a treaty, an agreement. They uh, agree to, to stay in a certain region, and, and they're going to have good relations. But they end up signing a peace treaty with Chief Massasoit. It ended up being the longest-lasting peace treaty in the history of America between any Anglos and any Natives, And as this unfolds, part of the reason the pilgrims made really great neighbors is because they had grown up with the Geneva Bible, understanding notions of private property and and understanding notions of equality and things that were really foundational to pilgrims. As they are trying to navigate, Squanto had been in England for several years, like five years he'd been in England, uh, which is part of the backstory. Uh, John Smith who was an early governor of Jamestown. There was a, a gunpowder explosion in Jamestown in 1609. He had to go back to England to recover. So there was a new governor in Jamestown. When he came back, he was an explorer. He's the one who actually explored up the, the continent in North America. Uh, he's the one that found the New England area. He named it New England. But while they were doing exploring, and, and John Smith had pretty good relations with the natives his whole life. While they were doing exploring, there were several ships that were part of his crew. And the, the last ship, there was a, a Captain Thomas Hunt, and I think this was 1614, uh, as they were exploring north and, and in this Plymouth area, there was a, a group of natives who had been interacting with John Smith, with all these these uh, sailors and soldiers as they're exploring, as they're documenting, as they're navigating. And as John Smith loads his ship and leaves, second ship loads up and leaves. Thomas Hunt says there's 27 natives. He says, if you guys want to come see the ship, you have never seen a boat this big. Right. You've never been on it. If you want to get in your canoes, paddle out, you can see this big boat. So 27 natives, they paddle out, and Thomas Hunt's going to give them this kind of introductory, right, tour of his ship. He walks them below deck, and he locks them up below Mm. deck, and he kidnapped 27 of them. He took them back over to Europe, and he sells them into slavery. Well, as these natives are being sold into slavery, there were several of them that were were sold, but there was a, a group of monks that saw them being sold, and based on their Christian faith, they said, this is terrible what's happening they went and they bought the the natives, the Indians who were being sold, and they bought them for the purpose of freeing them. They freed them. Well, one of those natives was Squanto. Squanto was one of those 27 natives who had been kidnapped. And when he was freed, he ended up making his way uh, to England, where he was with a a bunch of English-speaking kind of monk-esque kind of guys, religious guys. And he learns English, lives with them for several years. And in 1619, he tells the these English religious minister guys like, hey, I'm I'm kind of ready to go back home. So they find him a ship, they go back home. He arrives back to the New World in 1619. He goes north to find his family. And it's in the Plymouth area. His entire family had died. And then his entire tribe had died of a plague that had hit that area. And so the area where his tribe had been is now deserted. And back then, if if there was some kind of plague that hit an area, obviously native americans at that time they didn't understand the the science behind that they didn't know what plagues were yeah and so if there was a plague that hit they might think there was an evil spirit there and they were smart enough to know right like don't touch that stuff don't go around them something bad happened to them and so the natives determined that nobody's going to live in that area anymore where where plymouth is because something bad happened here we're going to leave it alone well that is literally the area where the pilgrims land Mm. that is Squanto had joined himself to chief Massasoit in the Wampanoag Indians because all his people are gone. So he joins another local tribe, right? He's the implant with them. He's the immigrant living with them. And when the pilgrims come, he had been in England for five years. He's a translator, right? Yeah, he's, he's fluent and not just a translator. Like he knows their culture yeah, because he literally lived there for five years. He is, he is the only person in the new world that, that could have played the role he played. Had it not been for Squanto, like genuinely, all the pilgrims would have died. Yeah. Because when Squanto shows up that spring, he's the one that shows them not just how to plant crops. He literally knew where to plant them, like even what fields to plant them in, because that's where he had lived. Mm, He shows them how to hunt and fish, and not just like generally how to like how to use a pole and like no, here's where the fish are. Right. Yeah. He's like literally this little inlet right here, this bay right here, and actually this area over here, these woods. This is this is where the deer are. He is literally the guy showing them how to live and survive when it comes to the first Thanksgiving, which we actually, one of the things, so two more books I have with me. This is the the first recorded history of the pilgrims. Uh, This is Mort's Relation. came out, I believe, in 1663, Uh, and so this is part of the history of the pilgrims, but a more, arguably, a, a more detailed documented version. This is the first printing of Governor Bradford's journal. In Governor Bradford's journal is where the majority of details we have from things like the first Thanksgiving, et cetera, happen. And in Governor Bradford's journal, he identified that when they were coming up to the first Thanksgiving, they they were going to have a day to pray and thank God. And specifically, he says that because of the help of Squanto, they had learned to hunt and fish and grow crops, and they had enough food that this coming winter, their second winter, that maybe not all of us are going to die right? Mm. We might have enough food that we can survive a second winter. So they're going to have a day to pray and thank God. And as they're telling Squanto what they're going to do, Squanto is, and and the pilgrims are still connected with Chief Massasoit, but Squanto gets word back, well, Chief Massasoit finds out. They're going to have this day of Thanksgiving to thank God. Chief Massasoit, in the midst of conversation, gets invited to come join our Thanksgiving feast. Chief Massasoit came with 90 Indian Braves to this first Thanksgiving feast. And at that time, I think the Plymouth historic society says there were 53 pilgrims that were still alive at that time. uh, And the majority of them were elderly women were the elderly were women or were children. Hmm. So of the, the males 13 through 60 considered maybe like adult age fighting males, there were like 20 of them. And, And the reason that matters is like one of the dumb accusations today, like why do people want to cancel Thanksgiving is the argument that some people say is, well, the pilgrims stole the land from the natives. And I would just point out like, just go back to the first Thanksgiving, Chief Massasoit came with 90 Indian Braves and there were 22 male Pilgrims. Yeah,
2: 90 warriors for, yeah. for the viewers. That, you're talking, they're all warriors. That's, right. Yeah. yeah.
1: Like, yeah. had the Pilgrims yeah. stolen land, that first Thanksgiving would have gone very differently than it yeah. did. But the reality is that first Thanksgiving lasted three days. And for three days they feasted, they had athletic competitions, they had races and wrestling matches and shooting competitions, they had times of prayer. It's also worth noting that the majority of the food from the first Thanksgiving didn't come from the pilgrims. The natives are the ones who brought the deer and the eel and the lobster. The majority of the food that was consumed, the natives provided because this was them having a get-together with their friends. right? Like This is the tailgating party. We're all coming. We're all bringing food. But the reason, again, part of this matters is if, if we knew some of the basic story of the pilgrims, We would never fall into this notion of thinking we should cancel Thanksgiving or, you know, we that the pilgrims were really bad people. They weren't religious. The pilgrims were some of the most honorable people, maybe in the history of the world. Not perfect people. But when it comes to interacting with a new people, a new culture, a new civilization, there is nobody that would have done better than the pilgrims. And providentially, there's no way the pilgrims could have survived without Squanto. So even in the midst of the story, the first Thanksgiving never could have happened had it not been for the help of the natives. And this is not something that it was the Americans against the natives. This is something where they worked together. And for more than 50 years, they had very friendly relations. And this is not just the history of like what Bradford says or what Mort Relation or other history books say, like even the natives acknowledged, like it was really good for those first 50 plus years.
0: Yeah. history is so important. And, um, and, you know, we didn't even point it out yet, but I, I do want to point out that, you know, you're, you're the president of president of Wall Builders. Uh, and uh, I've been great friends with both you and your father, David. And, uh, if you guys don't, listeners don't know who David Borton is, uh, then you have to know. Uh, but uh, who's also, you know, the two of you are most brilliant historians I know. But Wall Builders has the largest collection of historical documents in America. Is that accurate?
1: Uh, the largest collection, we, we would say, of original documents from the founding era specifically. Okay. So. Uh, we have about 120,000 items in our collection. We, we do a partnership also with Glenn Beck. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's a nonprofit, Mercury One. In between the three of us with all of our collections, it's probably about closer to 160,000 items in the collection and the collaborative collection. So it's, it's considered the most extensive collection of original documents from early American history, where like all of these being original mm-hmm. documents, m- there are many people that have large collections, but nobody that has a larger collection of documents, original documents from early American history
0: so I, I bring that up to say most of these arguments are based on people's ideological opinions and not based on history and fact and yeah. so when you when you say these things you're coming based off of evidential history based on documentation right eyewitnesses eyewitnesses of eyewitnesses and those those are the kind of that, that's the the reason you're able to make mm-hmm. these positions you know with such certainty right uh, and not just uh but we we're we're influenced so much and I have a clip here that uh that I want to show I don't, I don't even know if we shared this clip with you
1: no, uh, I don't think he's seen it. But it's it yet. this
0: clip, and and it's nothing significant about this clip. It's other than uh, this is what cultures exposed to is is these uh, uneducated opinions like this. I don't know who this one is. Is this the one? This yeah,
2: clip? this is a this is a new one. Um, it, it's the same thing. It, it's this it, and and again, this is not attacking this person, right? Um, she, you know, she's she's trying to give information that she believes is truth.
1: Like based on nothing.
2: Yeah, Chad highlighted is we have documentation to support you know, what, what we're talking about here. And so uh, we can get into it more in a second, but we just kind of want, want you to see this clip and then it'll give us an opportunity to dive into some of what she's talking about. I think the hardest thing for Americans today and the reason that Native Americans and Native American history and issues get left out so often is because it hasn't ended. We can point to different things and say, we fixed that. Um, we're all still complicit in standing on stolen land. It isn't done. We've actually been told, like my people, for instance, have been told by the Supreme Court, yes, you're right. The government did violate their treaties and this still is your land, yet they just won't give it back. The first step is just to know whose land you're on. You need to know which lands, whose nation you're standing on. Figure out who the indigenous people are in your land and then start to get to know about them. Start to figure out how you can make reparations. People get really scared when you talk about reparations, but I think there's so many ways that you, with your current resources, can reach out and say, what can I do to be of service? How can I help? Is there anything I have within my means that would be helpful to your people? And maybe it's just education. Maybe it's getting your kids, teachers, to stop doing these terrible, racist, horrible Thanksgiving pageants they do. You know, I don't know what it is, but everybody has a capacity to give back something. And you need to start with knowing who you need to give it back to. And if everyone just did that on Thanksgiving, we would be eons ahead in this country than we've ever been in the history since, you know, Columbus showed up.
0: Hey guys, Chad Robichaux here. Are you ready to experience the greatest beef you'll ever taste while supporting an incredible cause? Well, get ready to sink your teeth into the irresistible beef from Skyros Cattle Company. At Skyros Ranch, where Mighty Oaks Foundation holds our West Coast Legacy programs. Wayne Hughes, Jr., the founder of Skyros Cattle Company, has dedicated over a decade to perfecting the art of raising premium beef. And guess what? You can now enjoy the fruits of his labor right in the comfort of your own home with the absolute highest quality beef you can find. Hands down, and trust me, I'm a carnivore and I've tasted plenty of steaks and nothing comes close to a Sky steak. These cattle are grass-fed and free of antibiotics, hormones, and vaccines, And for the last 10 years, I've personally watched these cattle graze 25,000 acres in Central Coast, California, and the taste is unbeatable. When you choose to purchase Sky Rose Beef, you're also making a difference by supporting the Mighty Oaks Foundation. Wayne is all about helping our deserving military and first responder communities through our faith-based resiliency and recovery programs. And every single penny of your purchase goes directly towards assisting our nation's warriors. Let me reiterate this, because it's crazy, 100% of the proceeds of Sky Rose Cattle goes directly to Mighty Oaks Foundation to support our nation's warriors. So let's join forces and make a positive impact one delicious bite at a time and head over to SkyRoseCattleCO.com. That's SkyRoseCattleCO.com today and order yourself some tender, juicy cuts of beef. Trust me, your taste buds will thank you. And one more little insider secret. Every warrior who goes through Mighty Oaks Legacy Program at Sky Rose will assure you that this beef is extraordinary and off-the-charts delicious. The very first thing our warriors get when they get to Mighty Oaks Programs on Sky Rose Ranch is a delicious Sky Rose steak hanging off the side of their plates with a Sky Rose brand on it. And our warriors love them, and you will too. Yeah, so, you know, there's so many videos out there, these narratives of people who are just making, I mean, really just making uneducated, political idea like ideological statements not based on actual fact
1: yeah i mean a a, a couple quick observations is oftentimes the accusations we hear are made in generalizations not in specific detail it makes a difference sure right like when american history when someone says like the founding fathers well all the founding fathers owned slaves no they didn't Mm -hmm. right did some absolutely yeah right were there some racist founding fathers yes were the majority of founding fathers racist no the majority of founding fathers came out against slavery, against the abolition movement. But I mean, I say that because, right, part of part of the, the video clip we just saw, there were several generalizations of like all the land was stolen. Was it? What was all the land stolen or was some land stolen? And the U.S. government stole the land. Which U.S. government? Right. Because we've had different presidents and different administrations did different things. Yeah. Right. I mean, even as, as a military guy, mm-hmm. there were some different commanders and chiefs who had some very different perspectives of what the military yeah. should and shouldn't do, of, of what America's role in involvement and involvement engagement was. <laughs> and so to pretend like all of america is guilty of doing something again it, it, it's a vast generalization and and even going back to the pilgrims when we say well there's many times that that natives and and these settlers had meals together how do we know which one well the very first one was 1621 that that is documented and that's the one we're looking back at and much of the accusations that are being argued these these are things historically the pilgrims were not a part of did the pilgrims still land no. The the pilgrims did not steal land.
2: Can you talk about how how we yeah. how we know this? Tim, right. you, you well, totally. have documents, how, right? How
0: they acquire the land? Like we did did we come and and just my military the, the pilgrims come in military force take land, put a stake in it and say, "Hey, finders keepers." Like I mean, that's the that's the idea that people were communicating here right the day just came and we just came and took the correct that,
1: that that the pilgrims participated in the history of the world conquest right right which is that's what people all people did virtually everywhere in the world for the history of the world was a conquest mentality but to your point sean as, as you're saying what did the original documents say we go back to the original documents and and so also worth noting if someone makes an accusation the burden of proof is not on us to show they're wrong they have the burden of proof to defend the position, to defend the claim they just made, yeah. right? So if you're going to say the Pilgrims stole land, let me let me just start with a few questions: What land do they steal? And and, and in what year do they steal it? And who do they steal it from? Let's be a little more specific. And you're never going to come up with that answer because it didn't happen. And and part of how we know that is the the longest-lasting peace treaty, as I mentioned earlier, between the Pilgrims and the Wampanoag Indians. It, it lasted until King Philip's War. And during King Philip's War, this is when the grandson of Chief Massasoit he came and he said that they wanted to get all the land back, the pilgrims were taken from them. And actually there were two things. He wanted to get land back and he wanted to stop the people from changing their customs. Because yeah. also one of the other major influence at the time, you have Jim Elliot, uh, the missionary to the Indians. The mm-hmm. The first Bible translated in the new world was the, Elliot, the, the Indian Bible, then the Algonquin Indian language. And under Jim Elliot, you had a, a movement of what were known as praying Indians. And these praying Indians, were Christian converts from Indian right from the Native American groups into the Christian faith and they were be- being missionaries to other Native Americans and part of part of Native American culture and this is not necessarily specific with one Native American tribe but it, it's it's much more encompassing but it's also part of just a a warlike culture if you have warring tribes and you have very good warriors on different tribes for example I know both you guys do a, a lot of fighting MMA, Jiu-Jitsu, whatever else, right? If you beat somebody, how do you know how good you were to beat that person? Well, it depends on how strong the other person is, right? How were they trained? What do they know? Because that might make the difference, a level of win, right? For one of you two guys to beat me up, not as impressive, right? <laughs> but for you to step in the UFC and beat somebody like that, okay, now that's a different level than who you're dealing with. For Native Americans, oftentimes, if they had conquered someone in battle and they took a prisoner alive, they wanted to know how good of a warrior they were. And part of how they would test to see how good they were is how strong the person is I just captured. Because if I just captured this person, I'm going to torture them to see how long they can last and stand up to torture. Because the longer they last and stand up to torture, the stronger they had to be. And the stronger they are means the greater of a warrior I am. Torture was a very normal part of so many native tribes in early America. And and this is not just, right, specific tribes around maybe like the Plymouth area. This is true for North, Central, South America. This is just part of how the culture in that era was, right? Hundreds of years ago, very different era, conquest mentality. And one of the things that in the Christian faith and the Christian influence, they began saying, hey, you should treat other people the way you want to be treated. So let's let's not torture someone to death, right? Let's let's not burn them alive and skin them alive. Let's not do some of these. That's a bad idea. King Philip, when he came out against the pilgrims, there were two things. He said that his grandfather had sold so much land to them that their best hunting grounds were gone, and that they were trying trying to change their customs and cultures. What were the customs and cultures? Well, it torture. was it was things that were yeah. very much not conducive with what we understand, basic humanity, Western civilization, etc. And so we would say King Philip. But to clarify for people listening, King Philip's a Native American. Yes. Correct. That yeah. was the grandson of of Chief Massasoit, and it was also not unusual for, as especially as there were more Europeans entering into America, uh, that a lot of the chiefs were known as kings, and they called themselves a king. And so King Philip, he took. One of those European names and said, I am King Philip. It kind of like you wanted to throw a little status symbol for himself. But King Philip is the one who led that war. The governor of the Pilgrims at that time, or of Plymouth at that time, said that he thinks he can verify that there was not a single acre of land that they had in their possession that they did not get by legal purchase. And part of how we can even confirm some details of this is not just by what their records say, but we actually own several deeds that were. Native Americans selling land to early Americans. So we have deeds from the 1700s, like 1728, 1750s, 1770s, where Native Americans are selling land. And sometimes we have one from New York, the the area of Brooklyn, New York. We have a deed that is 300,000 acres. That is the area of Brooklyn, New York Mm -hmm. included in that, that a Native group sold to white colonists, white settlers. And this is where when you look back, one of the things and, and you could argue, right, maybe there's a disparity of understanding when for Native Americans who are largely a nomad people, they understand some notions of private property, but they don't understand like European civilization where you're going to build a home and never leave. Because if you're a nomad people, you move, right, you, yeah, you pack yeah. your TP and you rotate where things are. And so like it, it it's reasonable to say that even though, okay, let's say the pilgrims, they bought the land from the Indians. Well, they were still taking advantage of the Indians because the Indians didn't know what they were doing. But then you're misunderstanding, like how do you how do you trade and navigate something? Because if the pilgrims are in good faith, and this is not just the pilgrims because there's lots of groups. It's William Penn in Pennsylvania. It's Roger Williams in Rhode Island. It's Thomas Hooker in Connecticut. There's a lot of this happening where Christian uh, really kind of persecuted individuals of religious faith almost entirely Christians were coming from all over Europe. They're settling the new world, seeking religious freedom. But as they get here, they're, they're purchasing land from Native Americans. And the argument would go that if you purchase land, they would say, well, the Indians didn't know what was going on, but then if they didn't know, here's the way it would happen. Right? So if Sean, you're the representative for the Native American and I'm like, Hey, so I'd like to buy this land. And you're like, cool. What does that mean? I'm like, well, so I'll give you like a cow, I'll give you some chickens, I'll give you this ax, I'll give you this musk, I'll give you this blanket, if you'll let us build a home here. And you're like, you're gonna give me all that just to build a, like, okay. At the, at the end of that exchange, right? I go back and I'm like, guys, high five. We just got this land and I I only had to give him like a cow and some chickens and a blanket and an ax and like, this is amazing. It's a good deal for everybody. That's a great, they right. Felt, they felt like it was a good deal right? Because Right, cause Sean's going back to his tribe and he's like, you're never gonna believe this. You see this new musket I got, guess yeah. how I, I told them they could build land and they gave me all this stuff. Nobody feels like they got cheated, right? Yeah. Now we could argue there's a misunderstanding of what was happening, but that's nobody's fault. That's cultural differences, right? Yeah. This is not, you can't argue ill intent by a misunderstanding, but this is where, when, when you look at the pilgrims, there was no land stolen by any of the pilgrims. Did land get stolen in American history? Of course, unquestionably land got stolen in American history. But it's also fair to say that if if you go back and look at the the vast majority of what were known as like the Indian Wars in the 1700s and prior, nearly every one of those Indian Wars, it was started by Native American tribes who were trying to reclaim land that they had legally sold. Mm. And right again, maybe they didn't understand what was happening. This or, is where the term Indian giver comes from, right? Well, right. This, to sell this. something and try to take it back. Right. Right. Yeah. And it's also where, right? it's it's also fair to to recognize if you have very different cultures and in your culture only the strong survive and only the strong keep what they have right well then yeah i'll let you go there for this but you better be strong enough to to keep keep it it. right and this is where there's there's such a disconnect even understanding how cultures operated and what they were and this is not a knock on native americans of course It's, it's a reality of understanding there was a different culture at that time it was different people at that time and 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 to go forward if you get to the 1800s once you get to like andrew jackson in the earlier 1800s from andrew jackson 1820s 1830s forward this is when you start to see a lot of a lot of bad behavior from the federal government to native americans because prior to that when george washington becomes president part of the northwest ordinance which is what allows all the westward expansion new territories are happening under washington part of the northwest ordinance and article 3 of the Northwest Ordinance. It says that no land shall be taken from any native except by legal purchase. It literally was part of the federal law. You cannot steal from Indians. And you can make the argument, why do you have to put that federal law? Because certainly somebody was stealing. Sure, yeah. But it also clarifies that this is not the position that is favored or allowed. Right? You can make the argument that, well, murder is illegal in Chicago, but stu- people still murder. Yes, but murder is illegal, it's illegal because real. we know what's wrong. Did it happen at that time? Yes, it happened. But was it illegal? Yes, it was. It wasn't until the 1820s and 30s when things began to change in America where the federal government, and again, under Andrew Jackson and then several Democrat presidents going forward, where they're like, you know, we'd really like that land. Let's relocate you to a new reservation, a new state, a new place, Oklahoma, Arkansas, wherever it might be definitely there was things stolen, but none of that was at Thanksgiving. None of that was about the pilgrims. Really, if you want to talk about that, let's look at the bad Democrat presidents and their bad policies that led to this. Yeah. It had nothing to do with the pilgrims. And so the idea that we're going to cancel Thanksgiving is a very foolish, historically naive idea and not to, not to slam, right. The people we saw in the video,
0: Yeah,
1: there can be very good hearted people who have bad information. And if you repeat yeah. a lie long enough, right. People Start to believe it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, and I
0: believe that's what it is. I don't believe this woman in the video, or or anybody for that matter, uh, has bad bad intents with this. They feel like they were, you know, they feel like they were victimized, and in some cases, like you said, they, they certainly were. Even in the legal cases of, or not the legal cases, the justified cases of stealing the this stealing of land, though, who who's the culprit in that? Right? How far do you go back? Like, if if they were uh, settlers that stole land from Indians then where that land, uh, who that land belonged to in the beginning, like who stole it from who? Because if you go
1: back the history of that land, I mean, the natives killed each other for that land. So like where we are in Texas is a great example, right? right? So if the argument was that that all white people should return all land to the Native Americans, okay, well, the Comanches were the the last really dominant tribe in Texas. Mm -hmm. But if we give it to the Comanches, the question would be, well, who did the Comanches get the land from? Because they were not the first tribe in Texas. They were the last lasting tribe. But the reason they were the last lasting tribe is because they had wiped out like 20 other tribes. Right. So who, who's the recipient of that, right. yeah, that reparation? So if we're going to say, yeah. well, it goes back to the natives. Well, was it the Comanches or who they conquered from? And, and it, if it's who they conquered from, well, then who did they conquer from? Because for the history of humanity, it's been a conquest civilization. Yeah. So the idea that we're just going to blame <sighs> Americans or blame white people, however the narrative is going to go, that that's a... It's a very Marxist, mm-hmm. unrealistic, dishonest perspective to say that. Well, the last person we're going to blame them all the reparations, whatever the case might be, and it's it's a inaccurate perspective of the the warlike culture from so many of those native tribes.
0: My Pillow is celebrating their remarkable twenty year anniversary, and they want to thank each and every one of you for your support with an incredible offer right now. You can grab a queen size My Pillow regular price at sixty nine ninety eight. For just $19.98. And for just an additional $10, you can upgrade to the king size. To claim this unbeatable deal, head over to MyPillow.com and click on the radio podcast square. Use promo code DANGEROUS to unlock Mike's amazing offer. You can also call at 1-800-941-0272. That's 1-800-941-0272 and use the same promo code DANGEROUS. MyPillow's patent fill adjusts to your exact needs ensuring you get the best night's sleep ever. The anniversary celebration also brings deep discounts on all my pillow products from luxury bed sheets and cozy my slippers to soothing towels and comfortable mattresses. Now let me share a personal secret with you. I've experienced the my pillow magic myself and I can't help but rave about it. The pillows are amazing. I use my pillow every single night and the difference in my sleep since I've started using it is astounding. I wake up every morning and my neck feels great. Uh, I love my pillow. So here's your chance to join the MyPillow family and enjoy the best night's sleep of your life. Don't miss out on the biggest sale in MyPillow history. Remember that's MyPillow.com promo code DANGEROUS or call 1-800-941-0272. Don't wait. This incredible offer won't last forever. Sleep better and feel better. Thanks to MyPillow. America does have some ugly history. You know that as a historian, but one of the things I love about this part of American history is that uh, and I, I've been all over the world. I've been the, you know, in the early sixty countries, and I know you've studied cultures around the world. Most cultures around the world were invaded, and militant forces went in and seized that land by force. But America—that's not the story of America. So, like, we're America. The history of America is being accused of what's happened. Uh, everywhere else but actually hasn't happened here right you don't see that accusations in
1: in brazil or right uh, but it's, it's it's crazy that america is being accused of crimes that arguably she's one of the few nations never to have committed the crimes at the level she's accused of yeah. in the sense of right not not that america's a perfect nation and we could definitely sure. go down the list of, of mistakes we've made and in, in places and like leaders that really mess that up but to your point if you look back who ultimately were the victors of world war one and world war two america in fact, we week ago, every 10, 15, 20 years, there's a new battle. America's predominantly the winner the leader. If you look at World War II, this is a super easy example because every year there seems like there's a new war movie, Oppenheimer, sure. right, whatever. These right. new movies come out. In the end of World War II, World War II ended once we dropped two atomic bombs on Japan. Japan is decimated. Well, today Japan is one of the top 10 economic producers in the world. They're, they're one of the most stable, prosperous mm. nations in the world. Well, how did they become that way? Because not only right did we give the land back, American tax dollars rebuilt the land for yeah. them. That's not the way that the world has operated to your point. No. That's not the way that people do it in the world.
0: America has never been a conquering nation in the and the people of America. I mean, everywhere we've been around the world, and you know, there's wars, of course, that we should not have been involved in, but right. but we've never taken and conquered. We never used our military right. to do that. We
1: still don't know. Is is Russia? going to give Ukraine their land back and rebuild it, right? Is, is China going to take Taiwan and then be like, oh, kidding guys, here's your land back. We'll rebuild it, yeah. make it better. That's not what nations do. And yet nobody is accusing, and by nobody, I mean, maybe there are some people, but like these progressive left wokest professors, whoever, yeah. these, these talking heads on media, they don't even accuse Russia and China of the same levels of evil they accuse America of. And America is arguably one of the only nations not guilty of doing the things right. they're accusing us of.
0: Yeah, this so it's one. Of, it's definitely one piece of history that I, that I love. And again, you know, I'm not going to sit here and say we have perfect history in America, no. but but you know, certainly when it comes to the the founding of this nation, it was a it was a collateral effort with the Native Americans. It you know, was from from the best I could gather.
1: There's <laughs> there's no question. Had it not been for the the assistance of Squanto and Chief Massasoit and those natives, the pilgrims never would have survived. Yeah, and and quite arguably, as a historian, we can document that. Plymouth was much more was a much more fundamental foundational influence on America becoming America than was Jamestown. Right. The the more important of the two early colonies was Plymouth. And had it not been for Squanto and Native Americans, the Pilgrims never would have survived and America never would have become America. So even on Thanksgiving, like as we celebrate what America's become and really I mean we should always thank God for what God's done in our life and who he is and and, and like the Pilgrims, they have a day of Thanksgiving when in less than a year before half their people had died. Like this is a crazy time, but the pilgrims were able kind of following what the Bible says that in all things to give thanks, they were able to find a way to give thanks, even in the bad situation, identifying where's their good. What can we be thankful for? We love their neighbor. <laughs> and they did. Yeah. It is because of, of their, their faith. They had the best relationship with native Americans that allowed America to survive and be a really successful, prosperous nation. It never could have happened without the help of native Americans. So, you know, uh, I'm, not only a military veteran, but a kind of a military
0: strategist. And, uh, and I look at some of these movies, especially around the, you know, the, the revolutionary war, even a civil, uh, around the time of the civil war, uh, it, or, or just seeing people, you know, uh, Calvary out in the West, right. And, and with, with Indians with them. And a lot of times these movies in history kind of portrays them as the traitor working with the Americans against the Indians, But the backstory behind that is they were actually working for the interests of their people, uh, fighting other Indians who have maybe, uh, victimized them as, as rivals. I mean, I I look at going to Afghanistan, you know, everybody kind of knows my story right now about Aziz being my interpreter and, and teammate in Afghanistan. Like Aziz wasn't a traitor to Afghanistan because he fought alongside American forces. He was fighting to liberate his people from the Taliban. Totally. Uh, His countrymen wasn't the enemy. It was the Taliban. And so a lot of times you see these Indians and they're misportrayed as being a traitor with the white people, but that wasn't the case at all.
1: In so many situations. So a great example that I think is easy for people to wrap their head around is when when Cortez, for example, when he lands Central America, he's making his march north as as he is marching. The burn uh, the ship story, right? Right. <laughs> We're not going back, right? Yeah. But he has 500 men. And and I'm saying Central America, like Mexico, wherever it is, right? But, but he has 500 men and they take on the Aztecs who have at least 1 million, maybe up to 3 million in their population. There's no way 500 people defeats 1 to 3 million people. But the reason he was able to succeed wasn't because he had the best trained warriors necessarily. It's because he was joined by arguably 40 to 50,000 other native warriors from other tribes who were being victimized by the Aztecs because the Aztecs believed in human sacrifice and they weren't sacrificing their own people necessarily, they're finding other local tribes that are not part of the Aztecs and they're using them for human sacrifice. And so to your point, so often you have situations where when somebody shows up and they're willing to take on the bad guy, you have other people that have been oppressed by that bad guy willing to join forces with the only person willing to take on this bad guy in the neighborhood. And that was the situation of reality for, for many early Native tribes. In fact, when the Calvary defeats the finally defeats the Comanche in Texas, and, and in this region, the Comanche were in Colorado and Oklahoma, New Mexico, and Texas and Mexico, but the Comanche's huge spread. When the Calvary finally defeats them, it wasn't because the Calvary's brilliance, it was because the Calvary had so many other Native tribes helping, scouting for them, helping them find the Comanches, because the Comanches had destroyed so many other Native tribes that these other tribesmen are like, we will gladly join with you to eliminate these Comanche because they've been killing and murdering and scalping and torturing our people for decades. It's not that they were traitors. It's that there was a really big, mean bully in the neighborhood, and they wanted to join forces with the only group willing to take on that really big, mean bully. And this is, again, to your point, part of what's not always discussed is is when when people often think of Native Americans or when we hear the portrayal of Native Americans, it's almost like the old Disney movie, Pocahontas, that these natives, they they just wanna paint with the colors of the wind. No, there's a lot of really fierce warring natives and some of the fierce warriors, right? Some of the fiercest warriors in American history were some of these native tribes and amazing warriors, some of them, right? Some of their stories Mm -hmm. just blow you away how good of warriors they were, how good they were in the woods, what they could do, but they were vicious, oftentimes in battle, and and that's not to, to right speak negatively of them. That that was a yeah, cultural yeah. thing, that was a culture, yeah, right. Yeah. That's and, how it
0: was. And, and even on the you know on the good side of it, it was amazing. war. I mean, and still to this day, I mean, you got Native Americans that come from tribes, Native American tribes in in, in America right now that serve in the military and still have that warrior spirit. Correct. World War II, we had the wind talkers. Correct. And, uh, I
1: mean uh the navajo it was Nav- it was a navajo navajo code talkers right which, which actually there were multiple different there were multiple different native uh tribes that were end up becoming code talkers mm-hmm. the navajo became the most famous they weren't the only ones and the navajo what people really remember is that that, that their code was never broken well actually there were multiple different tribes that were code talkers mm-hmm. and none of their none of their languages none of their codes were broken because yeah. people weren't able to identify yeah. that, but to your point, that this is this has now become a rich part of who America is. Yeah, it's part of this, the, uh, the American story includes yes, in Native Americans. I- anytime there are people willing to link arms and make this nation better, we are better mm-hmm. by having different people join and contribute to go forward. Right. And and that doesn't mean like we can't look back and acknowledge, man, like Andrew Jackson, some of those people, they did some really really bad stuff. There was definitely some bad stuff that happened. Sure. But that's just not the whole story. It's certainly not the story of the pilgrims. It's not the story of America. America is a better place when people are able to work together, crossing right mm-hmm. ethnicity, cultural lines, gender lines, working together to make this nation better. And that's it's one of the reasons America's been one of the most special places in the history of the world right. is because of all these people groups coming together, bringing their best ideas, putting them together, and advancing America forward. Every day, more than 22 veterans take their lives That's a devastating reality
0: that we can no longer ignore. But what if I told you that number actually is much higher? According to a recent study, the actual number of veteran suicides could be double the federal estimates. That means 44 veterans could be lost to suicide every single day. Whether the number is 22, 44, or one, one is too many. But there's hope. Mighty Oaks Foundation provides a lifeline for veterans, first responders, and active duty communities struggling with PTSD, depression, and thoughts of suicide. Our non-clinical faith-based peer-to-peer programs focus on spiritual resiliency, providing our military and first responder communities to overcome their hardships of service and find a new life purpose. We know that the road to recovery isn't an easy one, but with the support of Mighty Oaks, our warriors can find the hope and healing they need to move forward. Visit MightyOaksPrograms.org. That's MightyOaksPrograms.org and learn how you can support our mission to end the epidemic of suicide in our military and first responders communities. Together, we can make a difference. This is not a story of settlers versus indigenous people. Uh, No, not at all. Uh, There's a a piece that I really want to talk about that uh, interests me. Uh, as, as Christopher Columbus. I was just in, um, I was just in uh, Jamaica and um, we were on the tour bus and the tour bus is like, this is where uh, Christopher, Col-, they, he, sarcastically, this is where Christopher Columbus came in, in the islands and uh, claimed something that was already claimed. Uh, and and, and uh, so we get this, we get this narrative that uh, you can't found something that's already been founded by an indigenous people. And, uh, you know, uh, to best of my knowledge, and I think you corrected me to, earlier, was uh, that Christopher Columbus hadn't even came to America. I guess there's a possibility he actually did later.
1: Yeah. So the, 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 he had four voyages, Columbus okay. did. And, and, and even the background of this, like this, this is really important. People forget the context. So when they accuse Columbus of all this evil, some of it's not even logical based on who he was and what he's trying to do. If, if, if we remember historically back up, like Marco Polo was one of the early mm. famous explorers, right? When you had the, the Silk Road going from Eastern Europe, all the way over into Asia and, and, and people were for the first time beginning to learn some of these different cultural things. And, and they're they're getting some spices and goods back from Asia. And Asia's getting things from Europe. And they're going, man, this yeah. is amazing. Yeah. Well, then you have the Ottoman Turks that that take over. They come to force and power. And there's all these trade routes running through their area. And they're like, guys, this is like Christmas every day, right? These loaded trade wagons coming through. And so they begin attacking this trade route. And they were ransacking the wagons. And at that time, the Europeans said, the stuff from Asia, like we don't want to give up trade over there because that stuff is amazing. It's made our lives better. We want more of this. But they knew we can't go this inter route anymore because these, these Muslim Turks are going to eliminate us. So at that time, they determined they were going to sail either around the Horn of Africa or there were some that even attempted to sail north around Europe and like Asia, Russia, or Russia, I guess, coming into Asia, like just crazy how they're having to sail. Just to find a trade route to be able to continue to exchange goods from europe and asia columbus and at that time the italians were considered some of the best mariners some of the best sailors there were the best ship captains there were columbus is an italian well he's just one of arguably many of the italians at that point and so he's not able to get a unique contract but he wants to do something special he knows that the earth is round and he is trying to find somebody that will sponsor him to instead of sailing south around Africa, north around Europe and Asia, let me just sell west. I know we can do this. And so he actually has a brother who goes to England. He's he goes to a few different kings and queens. It's finally in Spain, Ferdinand and Isabella. They agree to fund him, and they're gonna. It's considered a meager funding. He's only gets three ships, and the three ships were the Nina, the Pinta, the Santa Maria, and he's gonna sell west. And and and. He knows the earth is round, but there's still people this time thinking, no, it's flat, he's, right? Yeah. You're going to sell off the edge of the world. It's a terrible idea. Well, he was correct that the earth is a globe. It's round. He was way off on dimensions, right? He was way off on the reality of there's entire continents in the way, but he doesn't know this. So as he's sailing West, he's trying to get over to off of Asia. Like it, it, the reason also that, that Native Americans were known as Indians, he thought he's in like India, Indonesia, somewhere in that region, and so he sees, he lands in the Caribbean. When he lands, he's on an island. But, but again, keep in mind, he is going to try to open a trade route. And he's trying to find a shorter way to the trade route. Well, he lands on an island. He thinks he's off the coast of Asia. And he thinks he lands on an island that nobody else has landed on before. And he's going, this, this is amazing. We will be able to open a trade post here with these local people off the coast of Asia. Again, no idea where he is. Mm. Off the coast of Asia, this, this is incredible. Well, if you're trying to open a business, you, this is not conquest. You you are like the best salesman there's ever been. You are on your best behavior, trying to smooth things over. This is who Columbus is. He's trying to open trade routes. He actually writes a key and queen back, which we have uh, some of the, the first printings of some of the early and original journals. And in those journals, he actually says that, uh, he writes back to Ferdinand and Isabella. He says, your highnesses um, ought to rejoice we met these people, that they will soon become part of our group. He says, I believe they'll soon become Christians. But he goes on to describe and he says, a better race there cannot be. He says, these are the best people we've ever been around. We're so excited. Some of them actually uh, wanted to come back and see this new world to them, but go back to Europe. Uh, they get on board a ship. Uh, they get introduced back over in Spain as royalty before the Spanish court. Some of them lived in Spain the rest of their life as royalty in Spain. One of them became the official uh, interpreter at- became a very good friend of Columbus, took Columbus's last name, was the interpreter for him his entire voyage. But but what happens is at the end of this first voyage, he goes back and he tells the king and queen, hey guys, like amazing, we found this place. It's th- There's no competition for us. Like this is perfect. It's beautiful. Let's go. <laughs> but of the three ships, part of the details of that story, of those three ships, the the I believe it was the Santa Maria, Uh, One night they were, they had a 12 year old boy who was supposed to uh, stay up all night and like make sure when tide changes, we're not going to drift and go ashore. This boy falls asleep is the way that the records and the story seems to indicate. The boy falls asleep, which I cannot imagine uh, how his next day went, right? They wake up and the ship has run aground Mm -hmm. and they're not able to get a ship off. Again, I think that's a bad day for that boy, right? Like it's probably not a good day on board that ship. But they realize that, If we can't get this off, we can't fit everybody we need on these two ships. So they determined they can't get the ship off. They're going to leave part of their crew behind in order to leave them behind. The the initial tribe they interacted with was the Taino tribe, Um, sometimes pronounced a Taino tribe. But the Taino tribe, they were very friendly. They're the ones Columbus wrote back and said, these people are amazing. Well, the Taino tribe actually helped them find a place where there's fresh water. They helped them like, here's a good place columbus's men they build a a little fort kind of temporary security shelter where they're going to stay while they're going to have to wait for months for columbus to go back to report they're going to come back and they're eventually going to be rescued but they're going to have to stay behind a long time before columbus leaves and this is in columbus's journal before he leaves he identifies that the Taíno, some of them came to him and and they communicated that they're not the only tribe here number one number two the second tribe here the carib tribe who's Ends up, we come to find out that's who it is. Uh, there's another tribe here and they're cannibals and they actually eat people. And Columbus in his journal, like he's super skeptical. He's like, I don't I don't think that can be right. Like this is the 1400s. People don't eat people, right? Like this is crazy. He leaves his men behind. He goes back tells the king and queen. Second voyage is a voyage of colonization. At this point, they're going to establish, right? Their fort, their colony, because now they're going to open their, like no competition trades, right? This is amazing for them. So, and also Columbus tells the king and queen that some of these people, there were 17, uh, I think it was maybe, yeah, 17 ships, 1,200 people or something of such nature that were coming. And Columbus tells them, uh, king and queen, that some of these people that are coming, like th- these are not befitting the name Christian. Like these aren't really good people. The king and queen say, hey, that's not your job. Like, your job is not the oversight of these people. Your job is to, you're the explorer. You lead them back. Columbus leads them back. They land on on one of the local islands uh, to where Columbus had gone initially. Columbus goes back to the initial island where he was, and when he goes to find his men, he finds that all of his men have been killed and they've been cannibalized. Mm. And at that point, he, he, you—I can only imagine, right? If you found some of your friends and they've been cannibalized, like what you're thinking, what you're feeling, going through. Columbus and men, they start looking for an answer, and that Taíno came and they said, "Hey, we told—like, it wasn't us. First of all, we told you there's another tribe here, really mean people. They do these things." We actually saw your men under attack. We came over. We wanted to help. They turned and attacked us. They've actually kidnapped many of the women and children of our village, and we can't get them back. Like they're they're too too mighty for us. So Columbus's men are like, okay, like you you let us know where they are. We're gonna take care of them. And the Taíno are like, we will join your side, right? Mm-hmm. Like yes, we're with you against those people. Well, they end up finding one of the villages, and when they attack this village, this is they end up defeating, uh, conquering the people of that village. Some people get away. Some people get killed. Some people get captured. And also, by the way, this is when, when people say Columbus enslaved the natives, these are the very first natives that Columbus ever approved enslaving. And it was the survivors from this war in the second voyage. And it was the war that was in, in going after the people that had killed and cannibalized his men, right? And again, this is still the 1400s where if you have lost a war to a people group and you are now captured by that people group, there's only two options for these survivors at this point of a war. You're either put to death or you're enslaved. And this is not Columbus's idea. This is the way the world is in the 1400s at this time. But in that village, there were 49 huts. And all those huts were locked from the outside. And when Columbus and his men, they opened those huts, there's women inside those huts. And the women, part of them are from the Taino tribe. Part of them are women from other tribes. And Columbus, there's a couple guys with Columbus who also kept records of this. There's a, a, a doctor who's with Columbus, and the doctor kept records of this. And so the doctors, just one of the examples of the records, the doctor said that these women, when they found out that we were not cannibals, they, they rejoiced to know they were safe in our company, to know, right, we're not here to eat you. But he went on and said that these women explained to us that the the Caribs treat them with such cruelty as would scarcely be believed, and that they eat the children that these women bear to them. Mm. This was a breeding farm that the Caribs would rape these women and these women would right, give birth after nine months and the Caribbean men would eat these children. By the way, the other name for the Caribbean tribe was the Cannibs, which is where the word cannibal comes from. To harvesting meals from the... 100%. Yeah. Right. But, but but again, like th- this whole perspective matters because people look back and they're like, Columbus is the bad guy. Hold up. Which natives did Columbus go to war with? And and, and right, but he enslaved the natives. Which natives did he enslave? It's not that Columbus was a perfect guy. He wasn't. But this, again, is is where so much of the narrative, Columbus is accused of things out of the context of what happened, and he's not guilty of most of what he's accused of. Did he enslave natives? Yes, he did. It was the, the cannibal natives that had killed and eaten his men, and he enslaved the ones they captured at the end of the war, and this is the 1400s, and that's what people did at the end of wars. Right. Right. He didn't go there to this wasn't like the North Atlantic African slave trade where he's going and capturing these tribes to make them slaves. The only people Columbus ever approved of enslaving were those that had been conquered in a justified war. Well, that's a totally different perspective of what we hear of Columbus. And all of this, like everything we're talking about, whether it be Columbus or the pilgrims, these are things that are are not even really all that historically disputed by people that actually study this. It's disputed by people who are repeating the modern narratives who have actually never studied the history. People that have actually studied the history, they realize that most accusations, there's not historic evidence or proof to support and substantiate the accusations being made. It's just the modern narrative. And a lot of the modern narrative, 1980 is when a lot of it changed. Howard Zinn wrote A People's History of the United States, and he's the guy who began making these accusations in the 1980s. And his history book is really considered largely discredited but so many people have read that. And the lies that he said there about Columbus, about the Pilgrims, about George Washington, uh, pretty much everybody that should be an honored hero of America. Mm-hmm. He said they're really evil, they did evil things. And people have repeated the lies he said, not realizing that what he was saying was historically inaccurate to begin with. And
0: this is where, you know, the uh the cancel, the cancel, you know, culture is going after Columbus Day he wants to cancel Columbus Day. Totally. Yeah.
1: Yeah, because they're saying he's bad and he enslaved these natives and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I would, I, I, genuinely, I would encourage people just go look up the Taino tribe and look up the Carib tribe and just study their history because mm-hmm. the Caribs, one of the things, and, 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 and as I mentioned, like this isn't really historically all that, that disputed. Anthropologists, archaeologists have identified several things about early American native tribes, but even of the Caribs, the Caribs used to, they would get on canoes and they would go to one of these local islands in the Caribbean and they would stay on that island up to, Multiple years, there was one island they were on, estimates are for about nine years. They would stay there until they had depopulated the island, wow. having eaten all of the people on the island, then they'd get in their canoes and row to a new island. Like, this is a very different mentality, and this is a, this is not an accusation against all natives, because right the sure. Taino, they were great people, but it's recognizing that there's way more complexity to the story of history than what most people are honest enough to tell. And it's not that these people were always perfect, but that there's way more to the story of what they're being accused of. And they're not always guilty of what they're being accused of.
0: Uh, the replacement that they want, that they're pushing to get rid of Columbus day is indigenous people day. Right. W- which indigenous people? Right. Like,
2: uh, I, I, if,
1: uh, <laughs> if we're going to celebrate Squanto, like I'm all about it. Let's right. celebrate Squanto. Let's not celebrate the Caribs, right? Or the That the Those aren't the ones to celebrate, but it goes back to the argument that right in this Marxist ideology, it's where like all white people are bad and all dark mm. people are oppressed. Well, there's way more to that story, right? Yeah. There were some really great white people and some not really great darker people, right? But it's, it, it's not as simple as saying, all people in this group are good. All people in this group are bad. Everybody has their own story mm. and everybody's story is different. Yeah. Well, you know, I
0: and, I, and I know you cause I've known you for a long time and your, your, your dad and, uh, and just the heart behind this message, if people are confused by it, is is not a heart of division. It's a heart of unity to say that don't take our word for it. Go right. and study, go learn history, uh, and and really understand the story behind the the true American story uh, behind the, the founding of America and uh, and the building of our nation and how all people were included. Yes, and uh, why we haven't done things always right, uh, in in large part. America has been a story of good, of righteousness, and, and 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 of doing the right thing. We have a hard history, yeah. but uh, but you know we're we are
1: the shining light on the hill still right. because of a reason. America has yeah. done more to advance human freedom, human equality, uh, stability, prosperity than any other nation in the arguably the history of the world. Like you might could yeah. go back to like that the Israelites Ten Commandments era and make an argument back then, but like genuinely speaking, yeah, anywhere in the last hundreds and hundreds of years, no nation has done more for good than america doesn't mean we yeah. haven't done bad things but this is where so often in telling the story we only hear some of the negative and not the whole story when the whole story is it includes the negative yeah. but we're not entirely defined by the negative in fact sometimes some of our greatest moments came as we conquered the negative and we yeah. overcame the negative and and, and even like, like the abolition movement against
0: slavery that's I it mean, uh, yeah, the, the the slavery portion history of America is horrible. Uh, the slavery of any people is horrible, especially that, to have it here in a place like America. But but we resolved that we did, uh, and and, and uh, all people came together to resolve that.
1: Absolutely. So
0: yeah, uh, one one of the uh, you, you guys have put out some amazing books, uh, but one book that I want to push people to uh, buy and, and read is as American Story, the beginnings. You you and your dad uh, wrote this together. I, I've Bought a case of these to give out. It's one of the books that I give out to friends because I, I love this book. And I just learned I didn't know and I'm kind of bummed I didn't know. Uh it's an audiobook as well. It is. Who, who reads it? Who reads it?
1: Uh we had a, a, several people send in audition tapes. It's a guy, it's it's actually a a Jewish friend up in New York, uh, who reads it. But Okay. It, I, it's I, I, on Audible now, yeah. I, I'm, so. go, I'm
0: gonna I'm gonna go back and listen to it. This this book is incredible, guys. This this is stories of uh based on history, not based on ideological right. opinion. Uh, based on history of, uh, of the American story. And it includes all kind of amazing things, things that you probably did not, unfortunately did not learn in school. Uh, so I'd encourage everyone to get it Get it anywhere. Uh, yeah, stuff, right? I mean, uh, but,
1: wallbuilders.com or amazon.com are probably the two easiest places.
0: Yeah. And uh, I want to talk, make sure everybody is aware of Wall Builders. So Wall Builders is, is the museum and, and where you guys collect all your stuff and also you have... Mercury one has
1: a uh, Glenn Beck's museum,
0: but people could go to these, they to these museums and see them, right? Yeah. So,
1: so they're in the Dallas fourth area. If, if people go to wallbuilders.com, they can uh, find out more about the wallbuilders museum and tour. They can sign up for a tour online, which we, we ask people not just to drop by uh, because we do have docents and people that will lead the tours uh, and it's interactive. So we, as we have a lot of books, there's a lot of things we let people actually hold. We have, I think like 13 muskets from the American Revolution. I mean, so many cool things that people actually can hold. You have Abraham Lincoln's collar with the blood still on it. We do. We Which have is, mm, we have stuff from George Washington, uh, stuff from Abraham Lincoln, stuff that, again, people can hold. We we want people to connect with an experience history. Yeah. Uh, and so the other one is wallbuilders.com and then the American, or I guess it's AmericanJourneyExperience.com. Both of those they can go to. They can sign up for a tour, and we would love to have people come. Two of these, as you mentioned with our book, we have more than a thousand footnotes in our book and we encourage people like, please don't take our word for this. Yeah, yeah. We, we acknowledge the reason America's in so much trouble is because we've trusted the experts for way too long. Like if we learn nothing, nothing else from COVID, it should have been don't trust the experts, yeah. right? Yeah. Like don't, don't just take somebody's word for this. Let, let's do a little more work. And the reason we put so many footnotes in our book is because we don't want people to just go, well, you know, I, I heard this guy one time on the State Dangerous podcast and he said this, like, please. Like, disbelieve everything I say and go look it up for yourself. And I can say that with confidence. The the truth is never insecure. It's only people that are lying who are like, don't question the science, right? Truth is not insecure because truth knows if you challenge it's King James and take out the footnotes, right? Right. I mean, truth knows if, if you are in pursuit of truth, it knows what you're going to find because it knows what the truth is. Right. We say in confidence, please don't take our word for it. Go look it up because we know it only helps people have a stronger understanding and ownership when they've looked it up for themselves and didn't just trust some expert on some program somewhere. But if they come to our museum, they actually can, can see firsthand these documents And it's an easy way to like do some of the research firsthand with original documents and so many cool things at our museum. We'd love to have people come by. And then last, last thing, I know you have a daily show. We do. Uh, We we have a a daily podcast and radio program. Uh, We also all over every social media platform. Um, But you can go to whether it's Apple, Android, whatever, Spotify, wherever you listen to your podcast, uh, even on YouTube. And you can look for the the wall builder show. Uh, We do a daily program, 30 minute program. Uh, and then again, we're all over social media. Yeah. People want to know more and follow us. Awesome.
0: man! It's awesome to have you here. I, I, I'm sorry. I didn't ask a lot of questions because, uh, I just, just enjoy listening <laughs> to you, man. I can listen to you or your dad, like talk all, all day. Uh, so, and, uh, we look forward to get, getting up there and we're going to do the other episode.
1: We are, Remote. we got
0: we, we have another one to film.
1: Yeah. We're Remote. not done. We're going
0: to go in the museum and do it. So, all right, guys. Uh, awesome episode, Tim, uh, and Tim, Tim Barton here, uh, stay in dangerous.